You're listening to the Sub-25 Podcast. Sub-25 is the college and young adult ministry of Gardendale First Baptist Church. Our mission is to see the college campuses, workplaces, and communities around Birmingham changed by the power of the gospel. Here's this week's message. We're going to actually walk through the book of Judges. It's like walking through a jungle. There's some beautiful things that we see. There's some complex things that we see. Judges is the seventh book of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. So uh, if you would go ahead and turn there if you have a Bible. And as you turn there, I want to share a brief story, something that happened to me and my wife, Angela, earlier this year. Uh, My wife wasn't feeling too good. She was at home during the day, and she sends me this text, and she says she saw a mouse. Now, thankfully, the mouse is on the outside of the house. Uh, We'll call the mouse Mickey. We have a lot of Mickey Mouse at our house. I've got two little boys, a three-year-old and an almost two-year-old. So there's a lot of Mickey. Well, this little mouse, he was outside the house. I get home, I look around for him. I don't really see anything. Uh, You know, we live in a subdivision, so uh, it's, it's not common that we would even see a mouse. I didn't see anything. We went about our life. Weeks go by later, uh, months go by. We, we kind of get back to our life. And I'm doing some yard work outside. I'm weed eating and I, I move this little basketball goal that the boys have and there's a hole in the ground. And I'm thinking, I don't know what this hole is here for. I don't know if it's a snake hole, a mouse hole, a rabbit hole. I don't know if rabbits make holes. I don't know what's in the hole, but as any man would do, I grabbed a small shovel and I just started stabbing the hole because my theory was whatever's in there, if I enclose the hole, then I keep whatever's in there in the hole. And sure enough, I felt my shovel touch something and it jumped out of the hole. Guess who it was? It was Mickey. He jumped out of the hole. I make a little commotion. I go get the dog. The, go- the dog comes outside. I've recruited. I'm, it's now a, a tag team effort, me and the dog. My wife, Angela, hears some stuff that's going on. I'm not telling her what's going on. I'm just trying to move real fast. Next thing we know, Mickey takes a break for our back patio door, which happened to be open because my wife, Angela, was trying to see what the commotion was. So all we know is that this little guy probably went straight into our kitchen. So now it's a little bit funny, and then it turns quickly into frustration. We start looking everywhere. I'm looking under couches. I'm looking. We don't find him, and so we just kind of go about our life. A few days go by, and I head to Baltimore with some of you. We go to Baltimore. We're with Jeff Belcher, a church planner, and hey, we're back to life. And uh, I get a text from Angela a few days later. She goes to feed the dog. The dog food's in the garage, and she said, Madison, there's a hole in the dog food bag. And I'm, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Well, the good news is the mouse is not in our house, but we do know he is now in the garage. So there's not much I can do when I'm in Baltimore and she's here in, in, in Gardendale. And so again, we kind of proceed uh, with life and I get back and we're, it's late. And so I just want to go to bed. I'll deal with this thing later. So I get up the next day, I go about my day and I'm like, all right, I got to check out the garage. I start looking around the garage and my stomach just sinks because you can't really see it from a distance, but you start looking around and I don't know how to say it other than it looks like somebody took a few handfuls of black rice and just kind of threw it. And where it landed, it landed. And I don't know if you've ever walked into a situation like that But if it's not your house, it's not really that big of a deal. But this is where we live. Well, we don't live in the garage, but this is where we live. I mean, we're clean people. 
We vacuum. I clean the garage. Uh, Tanner can vouch for me. He's driven by my house before, and he'll see, hey, the garage is looking pretty clean. How did we get to this point? I expect this kind of filth out there. I expect it in an abandoned building. I expect it in a house that's condemned or, or a house that's fallen down. But in my house, how did we get here? How did the filth from out there get in here? But let me be honest with you. It, it, if we were all honest and if we opened up our eyes, there is a filth that is in the world, but it's a different kind of filth. There's a spiritual filth that is all around the world. We, we see it on the news. We see it on social media. We see it in, in, in movies and in TV shows. Uh, we're, we're exposed to it every day. And if we're not careful, the filth that is out there will get in here. It, it'll come into this place. And it does that by creeping into your heart. And by creeping into my heart, and if you're a Christian in the room, as we, the church, gather together, if we allow what is in the world to come into us, we've got a problem. Because the church is called to be distinct from the world. And if the filth that's out there gets in here, then there's no distinction. This is what happens in the book of Judges. Let me give you a little bit of background. Now, some of you, you have some notes, and if you miss any blanks, I will gladly give those to you later on tonight. We'll have a few points on the screen, but there won't be every point that's in your blanks. But let me set the scene. So years earlier, God chose the nation of Israel, this group of people. He chose them to be his special people, and he wanted to use them to be a light to all the nations. God wanted to bless all nations through the people of Israel. He called them a kingdom of priests. The priest was a mediator between God and man, and God's people were to be that to the world. So God wanted to bless all nations through the people of Israel. However, in Genesis and in Exodus, we see that there's a problem, that God has chosen this for these people, but these people are enslaved in a place called Egypt. Now, they're a large, large nation, but they are enslaved in Egypt. And so God raises up a man named Moses to rescue them out of Egypt. And once out of Egypt, God takes Israel to a special land. That land is called Canaan. It has another name. We often refer to it as the promised land. So God had this special place, the land of Canaan, and God promised Abraham hundreds of years earlier, this land belongs to you and to your descendants. Because what God was going to do is he wanted to take this special people and take them to this special land, the, the land of Canaan, the promised land. And from that land, God wanted all nations to see Israel and their relationship with God. And it would suggest that there is only one true God and all these other nations would then begin to worship the God of the Bible, Yahweh. And so the land of Canaan was to be this place. And so a man named Joshua takes over when Moses dies and Joshua begins to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. And so God's people have made it to the land of Canaan. And they've begun to enter into it, this promised land, but they haven't fully moved in yet. There are still some wicked nations living there. And it's with this in mind that I want us to look at Judges chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 
we'll kind of look at a few passages. We're kind of looking at a large section in chapter one and two, but let's start with these first verses. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord saying, who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah, which is one of the tribes within the nation of Israel, shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. Would you bow and pray with me for just a moment? Lord, we ask that you would take your word and that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our eyes to see who you are, what you expect of us, and the hope that you give us through your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we have the people of Israel. They're, they're now tasked to go into the land, but there's a problem. There's a, there's a group of people. There are wicked nations called the Canaanites. Canaanites is just a term to describe all the people that lived in Canaan. And you'll see all these kind of ites in the Bible, the, the Perizzites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the, uh, the Hittites, the satellites, the bagel bites, Mike and Ike's. Everybody awake? You with me? You got all these ites and they're in the land, but Canaanites kind of describes all of them. God wanted the people of Israel to go to battle against the Canaanites to take over the land. Now, if we just pause right there, it's an interesting command. And a lot of people have a problem with it. Why would God send his people into the land of Canaan, the promised land, and tell them to get these other nations out? Well, this is a conversation that we could probably have in more depth later, but here's the short of it. These nations had constantly rejected God. They had rejected who he was. They were worshiping false gods. A part of their false religion involved sacrificing children to the God of Molech. And so you look in the Old Testament, there are certain moments where you see where nations, wicked nations were causing their children to pass through the fire. They were trying to appease the gods by sacrificing their children. They were hoping to attain some level of success from a false god. There was also all sorts of sexually immoral practices that were taking place. But here's what we need to understand. These nations had rebelled against God. They were wicked, and God in his omniscience, being all-knowing, he knew that if, if the people of Israel do not eliminate the Canaanites, the Canaanites will lead the people of Israel astray and so many others. Now again, understand that all of these, all of these issues were a result of sin if we go back to Genesis chapter 3. And so although it may seem harsh, God was pouring out a righteous judgment on these nations and ultimately he was doing this so that nations could hear about the goodness of God once Israel entered into this land. And so through the nation of Israel, God chose to pour out his judgment on these people. All Israel had to do was to obey. We just got done singing a song. When I fight, I'll fight on my knees. The battle belongs to you. That's essentially what God was saying to the people of Israel. Hey, this battle that I'm, that I'm asking you to fight, it's ultimately my battle. I'll take care of it. You simply need to be obedient. You simply need to have faith in me, trust in me, trust in my power, and I will give you this land. Judges chapter one, verse two. Again, it says, indeed, this is God speaking, I have delivered the land into his hand. So what we have here is God saying, listen, I'm going to give the land to you. You simply need to be obedient to me. 
And so we see that God commands the nation of Israel to enter the land, to conquer it, to drive out these nations, these wicked nations, the Canaanites. And in verses 3 through 26 of chapter 1, to sum it up, we see where God's people, they begin to obey God. They begin to enter into the land and they begin to go to battle against these wicked nations. And so good for them, good for the Israelites. There's a little bit of obedience here. There's a little bit of faith. Okay, we're gonna move in the direction of what God has said. However, in verses 27 through 36, we see a phrase repeated over and over and over again. And I wanna read a few verses and I want you to see if you can pick up on it. You can listen to me or you can hear it. Verse 27 says this, however, Manasseh, talking about one of the tribes, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages. These were Canaanites. Verse 28, and it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. Nor did Ephraim, another tribe, drive out the Canaanites. Nor did Zebulun, drive out the inhabitants, the Canaanites. Verse 31, nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants. Verse 32, so the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites for they did not drive them out. Do you see the pattern here? That there was a little bit of obedience that the children of Israel had to trust God, to trust in what he said. So they said, all right, we're gonna begin to take over the land. But what we ultimately see is that their actions could be characterized by incomplete obedience. And here's what we need to understand. Incomplete obedience, at the end of the day, is disobedience. I I have a little boy, I have two of them. One of them can talk back to me, the other one, he can talk back, but I'm not exactly sure what he's saying. But the oldest one, he can talk back to me and I will tell him things. I'll say, hey buddy, you need to eat all of that. Now, as he starts to eat, he's obeying me. But if he walks away and he says, I'm done, it's incomplete obedience. It's ultimately disobedience. And this is what is characterizing the behavior of the Israelites. They began to move into the land. There was a challenge to conquer these nations, but they got to the point where they said, well, I guess, I guess this is a good place to stop. The nation of Israel became, don't miss this, they became complacent, complacent. The nation of Israel, these tribes that went in, they became complacent. Now, before we move any further, I wanna explain something about the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a historical account of true events that have happened. Now, what happens is oftentimes opponents of the Bible will go to books like Judges or Joshua, and they'll try to talk about how God is an evil God because he's telling people to do this. Understand this, the things that take place in Judges, there are some very hard things. It's not prescribing behavior for you and I. It's describing behavior that took place during a certain time in world history. So you and I don't read Judges and say, well, you know what? I guess we're going to have to go to UAB and Sanford and find all the non-Christians and say, go to Blount County. Get out of here. We're taking over Jefferson County. That's not what we do with the Bible. 
This was a specific command to a specific group of people, the nation of Israel, for a specific time. Now, for you and I, what we can do with this book as 21st century Christians is we can glean principles. We can glean principles about who God is, about what he expects. And we also need to understand that the people of Israel in the book of Judges are a picture or an illustration of the New Testament Christian. So with all of this in mind, I want to give you our first principle for tonight. Principle number one, complacency is convenient, but it'll cost you. Complacency. It's convenient, but it's going to cost you. At some point, the people of Israel said, eh, that's good enough. That's enough land. They're over there. I know the Lord said take all of it, but I mean, we got enough over here. They got complacent. We've all been there before. Some of you were there today. You literally said in mind today, you kind of worked on a project and you looked at it and you said, that's good enough. You ever been there before? Maybe a school project or a work project you were assigned and, and you didn't realize how hard it was going to be. And so you start working on it. And you're like, man, this is, this is some hard stuff. And then you got to a point where you're like, nah, that's good enough. I, I've been painting my cabinets. Me and my wife have. Now that's some hard work. And there's been some moments where I'm like, yeah, that's good enough. Nobody's going to see that. We have that in us. And, and you know what? To a certain extent, we can get by. We can get by in school with complacency. You can get by and work with, with complacency. You, you may be somebody that likes to work out and you may be that, ah, that's good enough. I got a good stretch in, I'm going back home. That stretch was good enough. Hey, you can get by, but everything changes when we apply this spiritually. See, complacency, yes, it is convenient, but it will cost you. It's comfortable. However, at some point it's gonna cost you. You see, Jesus has invited you to follow him. He has invited you to surrender and to submit to him fully. He wants what's best for you, but he also wants to work through you. And so he calls us to some challenging things. Now understand this, the people in the, in, in the book of Judges, they're already the people of God. And so some of the things that I'm talking about right now, I'm not describing, hey, do this and you'll receive salvation. Salvation is by faith. It's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We can't work to earn our salvation, but once we are saved, we must recognize that Jesus has called us to follow him, to be obedient to him, to surrender each and every day. Jesus wants complete obedience, complete surrender. However, many of us are exactly like the Israelites. We've gotten complacent. If we're honest with ourselves. And if we look deep within, we would see that, you know what? There's some complacency there. God's commanded us to do something and we've only done it partially. It's incomplete obedience, which we've already said is disobedience. We become complacent. Complacency says, I'll give Jesus most of my life. Complacency says, I'll do what God tells me to do as long as it's within this box over here. If it gets outside of that, no, it's a little too radical. As long as it's in this box, I'll do it. If it fits within my dreams, my goals, my desires, my wants, I'll do it. Complacency says, I'll live for God as long as it's convenient. Complacency says, Jesus, I'll allow you to clean up the sin in my life. Except for that. Don't, don't touch that. 
Don't touch that area of my heart. I, I got that under control, whatever that is in your life. If we're honest, some of us walked in and we are carrying some really hard things, some things that Jesus wants to get out of your life that's ultimately going to destroy you, but your complacency has blinded you. Perhaps it's bitterness. You're harboring unforgiveness towards a friend or a family member. And the Bible would say that that's a sin, that, that God has forgiven you and we're called to forgive other people. For some of us, it could be a sexual addiction that we cannot stay off of the computer or the phone. And you've already had thoughts of what you're going to look at later tonight because it's such a habit and, and you're not letting Jesus in to touch that. It's like a Canaanite in the land and it is going to destroy you and it may have not done it yet, but I promise you, your complacency, it might be convenient right now, but it'll come at a cost. I could take you through story of story of believers, pastors who got complacent in their relationship with Christ. Maybe they started a relationship with another woman and at first there was nothing to it, but because they were complacent, it began to shift and it changed and they got in dangerous territory and they are no longer pastors anymore. Some of you, you, you brought in this constant worry and this fear. And we know that the Bible is very clear about worry and fear. It is not of the Lord. We are told by Jesus not to worry. And some of us, we have that in our heart, but you've not let Jesus into that part of your heart to take over and to get it out. See, some of us, we have, we have become complacent. And complacency, it leads to missing out on intimacy with the Father. You see, the, the, the nation of Israel, I imagine that they did not conquer all the land because it got too difficult and ultimately because they were focusing on themselves. They were looking to their own strength. When in reality, if they would have understood the principle that we just sang that the battle belongs to the Lord, it would have led to a deeper relationship with the Father. Some of us walked in with these burdens, these struggles, and the problem is, is we're trying to win on our own. We've actually not trusted in the Lord to take this from us and to win the battle for us and to do what he has said. You see, we see that complacency, it kills trust, it kills faith. I believe that, that God, he, he, he wanted to give all the land to the people of Israel. And this doesn't mean that God wants to give you and I money and fame and all these things, but I do believe that God wants to give each and every one of us more joy, more peace, more contentment, to experience a deeper relationship with him. But when we become complacent, we miss out on what God wants to do in us, but we also miss out on what God wants to do through us. Because the nation of Israel became complacent, they left people in the land that shouldn't have been there, these wicked nations. The beacon of light that should have been shining from Canaan was not shining at all. And we'll see what happens in just a minute. You see, complacency, it looks to take the easy route. It's convenient, but it will cost you. As we head into this new semester, I want to challenge you that you would kill complacency. That you would kill complacency. You say, well, how do I do that? You look to the Lord 
You ask him to evaluate every aspect of your life and you let him expose those parts of your heart to reveal to you the areas that you've gotten complacent and you let him destroy them and you kill it. Jesus is far better than the convenience and comfort of complacency. Let's keep looking. So we kind of understand Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1, the command is given. They begin to do it, but they, they, they're incomplete. They don't drive out all the nations. Let's skip to Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Remember, the plan was to take this people, these people who were enslaved, to set them free and then to bring them into the land of Canaan and to display them to the world so that the world would come to know who God is and that, so that the world would worship God. This plan required that the nation of Israel fully trust and obey God. However, look, to what, look at what happened. Verse 2. And you shall make no covenant. So a part of the command that God gave the people of Israel, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. Again, the command was to drive out these wicked nations. They were going to be a distraction, a temptation. They were rebelling and rejecting against God. God knew that if Israel did not drive out these nations, these nations would lead Israel astray. And ultimately, it would hurt Israel. It would hurt these other nations who had yet to hear about the God of the Bible, Yahweh. And so, the passage goes on to say, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. So at this point, the nation of Israel understands that they, they've disobeyed God. God had given them a command. They, they disobeyed and the moment passed. It was too late. God's heart is now broken. He is grieving that his people that he had rescued, that he loves and cares for dearly, he's broken their heart. There's some things that my sons do that break my heart. I tell them, hey, buddy, I need you to do this, and then they don't do it. Or, or, or maybe my oldest, maybe he'll say something uh, nasty towards my wife. And guess what? I, I, have, I have to correct him. Oftentimes it means pulling out the spanking spoon, a wooden spoon. And guess what? We got a bunch of them positioned around the house. Why? Because a good father corrects their children. And here we see where the father, his heart is broken. Now, if we skip down to verse 11, years have gone by. If we had more time, we would unpack all of this. But, but understand, we have a group that chose complacency but we skip on down, years have gone by, by, and verse 11 says this, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, that would be gods of the Canaanites. And they forsook the Lord of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them the nations that they were supposed to drive out. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. 
And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Principle number two tonight, complacency breeds compromise. Complacency breeds compromise. God told the people of Israel, drive out the Canaanites. However, they didn't follow this command completely. They became complacent. And instead of driving these nations off, they actually made covenants with them. They came to agreements. We read earlier that one of the tribes, they, they, they made the Canaanites their tributes. Now they're kind of controlling them. They're keeping them there. But what we see is that these altars where they would worship these false gods and all the religious practice, it was untouched. They had no idea. The, the, the nation, the generation before them, they had no idea that their complacency would ultimately lead to, to the next generation's compromise. To where that generation actually stopped following the Lord and is now following the gods of the Canaanites. God wanted the nation of Israel to influence all the nations around. And yet here we see in the passage that the children of Israel, they caved into the influence of the Canaanite nations, the nations that were surrounding them. And again, we see where it began with compromise. Now, right now, the American church is at a crossroads. I believe that believers, if you're a Christian in the room, we are at a crossroads. Will we as Christians continue to allow the culture to influence us or will we begin to influence culture? And there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack with the word culture. But I would ask you, is God's voice the loudest voice in your ear as a Christian? Or, you are, or, or are you beginning to allow other voices to speak into you? Voices that don't come from Scripture. Voices that are not rooted in Scripture. And when I'm, when I'm saying voices, I'm talking about voices that you listen to. All of us absorb a lot of information, but what are the voices that you're listening to? What are the voices that you are following? Do the truths and ideas of God's word permeate your heart and mind? Or are the ideas of the culture, the ideas of the masses, whatever your favorite celebrity says, whatever your favorite person on social media says, or is it the voice of God that is loud in your ear that you're listening to clearly so that you can follow? Many of you, you're starting off a new semester at a college campus. Maybe some of you are starting off a new career and God has strategically positioned you there. I can guarantee you it is not an accident that you are here tonight. It's not an accident that you are where you are to work or that you are where you are where you're in school. God wants you in the similar way that he wanted the nation of Israel to be a beacon of light on your campus, in your workplace. But if we are not careful, we will become complacent and the complacency will turn to compromise. I've seen people, believers, Friends of mine, people that have even been under my leadership where they got complacent. Maybe they moved to a different location. Maybe they went off to college. They went somewhere and their, complacent, their complacency turned to compromise and they turned from the God of the Bible. They stopped following him. Do not let that happen. If you were honest with yourself and with God, do you see any compromise in your life right now? Ask God to show you, is there anything in there? Perhaps there's complacency that has led to compromise. And let me just say this, compromise is like a cancer. Typically people don't know they have cancer until there are symptoms. And at that point, sometimes it's too late. 
We've all lost loved ones as a result of cancer. Compromise is the same way. It's there and some of us don't even realize it. We have to ask God to reveal to us, is there anything I've compromised on? Look at with me, a few more verses and we're done. Verse 14 of Judges chapter two. It says, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Now we need to understand that God's anger is very much different than my anger and your anger. God's anger is righteous. He's a pure, holy, righteous God. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of the plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of the enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. If you can just imagine, God's hand had been on the, on the people of Israel. But now the people of Israel, they've rejected him. And so it's as if God said, okay, if you wanna go your own way, I'll remove my hand from you and I will let you run after the things that you wanna run after. I'll let you pursue these gods that you think that are better than me, these false gods. I will let you go that direction. And we see that this is what happens. Verse 15, wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. These verses show the consequences of turning from the ways of God. They're now facing the cost of the complacency. The very last verse in the book of Judges, it says this, Judges 21, verse 25. It says, in those days, which characterizes the whole book of Judges, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This verse is right. Israel didn't have a king, at least not an earthly king, because God had set himself up as a king for the people of Israel, but they did not recognize him as king. And so what happened is everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes and what was right in their, in their own eyes was what the other nations were doing. And so they rejected God. See, doing what was right in their own eyes is what led to their complacency. Doing what was right in their own eyes is what led to compromise. And then we see chaos and corruption. Principle number three, compromise always leads to chaos and corruption. It's the pattern that we see, and it's the pattern that all throughout Judges that we're going to see over the next few weeks. Chaos. All these wicked things that take place. We see all kind of bizarre, bizarre circumstances. We see all sorts of death and evil and wickedness. And right now, if we're honest, some of us, we see it in our own life. If we're honest, some of us recognize I've got complacency in there. I've, I know I've compromised my faith and I have some chaos. Like my life is chaotic and, and I know it's my own fault. Some of us, God has allowed us to recognize that and, and, and it leads us to say, hey, what do we do about this? Is there any hope? Do, do we look to people like Mother Teresa and say, well, I just need to be like Mother Teresa and it's gonna fix everything. Or I need to read a bunch of books by Gandhi and try to be a person of peace and maybe that'll fix everything. The problem is, is you can do those things and there's still gonna be the chaos. There's still gonna be the issue. There's still gonna be the problem. And so what do we do? Look at Judges chapter two, verse 16, last verse. Listen to what God says, his word. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges. That word judges is the same as the word deliverer, or we could even say savior. The Lord raised up these people out of Israel to be leaders for them. 
says, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Throughout the rest of the book of Judges, we see a nation of Israel in a cycle of sin and rebellion and repentance. They sin against God. God allows their enemies to capture them. They repent and God rescues them. It's this cycle over and over and over again. And many of us in the room, we're caught in that cycle right now. But understand this, that these judges that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, they were jacked up. Most of them were broken people with broken things inside of them. Some of them were fearful. Some of them were extremely dangerous and prideful. But understand that each of these judges, as broken as they were, prophetically point us to a judge who would come later. But this judge was perfect. These judges came to deliver. The judges were sent by God in the book of Judges to deliver the people. And understand that when we come to the New Testament, we see that God, he sends a judge. We already said that a judge is a savior. He sent a savior to deliver people from the chaos, from the issue, from our enemies. Principle number four, deliverance is found in King Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes? We're about to pray, but I wanna ask you a few questions. Some of you are sitting here tonight and your life is marked by chaos. You walked in and there was just chaos and confusion in your heart. And we may not see it on the outside, but on the inside, you are hurting. You recognize that you are a broken person and you need help. Some of you, You've never surrendered your life to King Jesus. King Jesus, he, he wants to deliver you. Are you willing to surrender to him? Are you willing to surrender to him? With, with eyes closed right now. Again, some of you, you've, you've heard some of this talk about Jesus and being a deliverer. If you would be honest and just say, you know what? I've never surrendered to Jesus Christ. I don't have a relationship with him. I need him. I need him to deliver me. If you would just be honest and slip up your hand, nobody's going to come to you. I'm not going to find you after the service and say, hey, I saw you. I'm just, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity. Every week, we want to give people an opportunity to surrender to Jesus Christ. If that's you, just slip up your hand and pull it right back down. Do not leave this room without talking to somebody. You can come and talk to me in just a minute. You can talk to a friend, but say, hey, I, I need Jesus. I need what he has. If that's you, please come and talk. But some of you, you may be sitting here right now, you've trusted in Jesus Christ. However, just like the people of Israel, you've gotten complacent. Maybe you've even compromised certain areas of your life. Perhaps you've forgotten who your king is tonight. I wanna to invite you to look to King Jesus. Surrender to him. Look to him for forgiveness. Look to him for strength to move forward. Father, we come to you right now. Lord, we are so grateful for your goodness. Lord, we're grateful for your mercy. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us in the state that we're in. Lord, that you have sent a deliverer and his name is Jesus. He is the son of God and through him we can have life. Father, would you forgive us for our complacency? Lord, as we enter into a new season, a new semester, I pray that we would be bold Lord, that we would step out in faith each and every day. 
that we would look to you. Lord, we need you. Lord, would you speak to us in the quietness of this moment. Lord, we love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.